Everybody. Hey, that was fun playing dodgeball with you. I saw some of your intensity. That was pretty exciting. You guys were pretty strong. The eighth graders did take it though. Did you notice? The eighth graders, boo, yeah. Joel didn't like that. The eighth graders asserted their dominance. They just put their heavy hand down and said, no, we own this ministry. We're the eighth graders. Chase like awkwardly claps. Yeah, that's, that's pretty good. Yeah, that's good. Hey, so I want to tell you a story about what happened this week. I went to lunch with our very own Luke Clemens. Okay, that's good. All right, I went to lunch with Luke Clemens. We went to In-N-Out, okay? We wore masks and stuff. Then we ate outside. We did not eat through our masks, okay? That's an unpopular thing to do. I have a, this white, like, true north mask that I wear all the time. It would not be a good idea to eat In-N-Out with that mask on, so I had to take it off, but that was good. Then I come back, and as I'm coming back into the parking lot, I see this big group of people walking across the street. And I'm like, why are this big group of people walking across the street? And I pull up to them. So I'm driving in right through here. I pull up and I start talking to them. And I see uh, Pastor PJ. I see Kellen. I see Francesca. And I'm like, hey, what are you guys doing? And they said, we're checking out the office building. And they were walking over to the 145 building. That building, if you turn around right there, is almost done. We're almost complete. It's like, like almost ready. The CBI classrooms look so cool. Like there's the cool like TVs and the lights and the desks they're putting in this week. So I, as I pull in, I'm like, I want to go see. So I come over and there's some people, some other people in the office that were walking over. And I said, what are you guys doing? And they said, we're going to check out the new offices. We're going to check it out 145 Columbia. They said, you should come and see. And I was really excited. So I walked over and it actually looks really cool. So hopefully pretty soon we'll be open for business over there at CBI. And you can come over and say hi. My office right there, by the way, just so you all know where my office is. My office is that window right there. So right next to the main pillar, the one to the left and upstairs, that's my office right there. So that's pretty cool. I'm excited for that. I get a window. You know, my, have you ever been to my office? It's like a little cave. You know, my, my, my cave over here, my office. Yeah. It's like this cave, no windows, no light. I don't even turn the lights on half the time. That sounds really weird. Anyway, but I was excited because I wanted to see my new office, right? But I was really excited because this big group of people were going over and they had two words, three words actually, that they said to me. And I heard it a couple times, come and check it out. Come and see that idea of people walking, people going somewhere exciting and wanting to bring other people involved is what we come across in our passage today. In the gospel of John, we see that phrase come up a couple times where someone says, come and see, come check it out. And what they're talking about specifically is checking out and getting to know Jesus himself. So I want you to grab your Bibles. Everybody grab a Bible, grab a seat. Some of you uh, don't want to sit down. You can sit down, bro. Grab a seat. You see me? You're going to stand. Listen to the whole sermon. That sounds like a good idea, I guess. Grab, grab a seat. <laughs> You can sit at a different table. <laughs> he doesn't want to sit down. Uh, that's good. Grab a Bible. Turn to the Gospel of John. John chapter 1. We're looking at verse 35 tonight. That's where we're starting. We're continuing. This is our first outdoor service, which is fun. But we're going to continue basically all throughout um, this book, this Gospel of John. So just so you know, every time we come together like this, we're going to be studying the Bible. So we got some extra Bibles on your table. But if you want to bring a Bible or you want to bring a phone or a laptop or a tablet, that's even better. So Check it out. John chapter one, verse 35. Okay. We had just heard John the Baptist preach. Remember that where he was the witness about Jesus. It says in the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples. All right. Sometimes when we see the word disciple in the Bible, we always think that means Jesus's disciples, right? Well, these are not Jesus's disciples. These are John the Baptist's disciples. So these are people who are following John the Baptist and learning from him. That's what the word disciple means. If you were here this weekend, we actually learned from Pastor Mike that that word disciple is actually the word that we, um, it's the word mathetos, which we get the word 
mathematics from in English, right? And what it means is to learn from somebody, right? And that's what math is, right? You got to learn from a teacher. That's what a disciple is, somebody who is learning from somebody else. So these disciples of John are standing with John the Baptist. And he looked, this is John the Baptist, at Jesus as he walked by. And he said, behold, the Lamb of God. Remember how we talked about that last time? He said that before. John has said, behold, the Lamb of God. But before he went on, he said, who takes away the sins of the world. So he says, hey, it's the Lamb of God again. Check him out. And the two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. They followed him. What does that mean to follow Jesus? Well, verse 38 says, it's a little creepy. It says, Jesus turned, whoa, Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them. So think about how weird this is. Jesus is literally walking. He walks by John the Baptist. Two guys are with John the Baptist. And John the Baptist says, hey, you should go follow him. And those guys just start like following Jesus. What that means is they literally just started following, they like stalked him, okay? They were like just walking behind him. Are you ever walked behind someone and been too afraid to ask a question? Right? Luke Averill, come on. Uh, this happened tonight. I wanted you to play the, the Chinese rap song for Alexander and he didn't want to do it. He was too afraid. He's just sheepishly walking behind, right? That, that's what the disciples are doing. That's what these two people are doing. They're walking behind Jesus, but they're not, they don't have the guts enough to talk to him. And then Jesus finally turns around. I mean, imagine this. He straight up turns around and he says, what do you guys want? That's literally, what, look what it says in verse 38. He turns around and said to them, what are you seeking? In other words, why are you following me? Uh, that's just kind of weird. And they said to Jesus, rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Okay, that's weird. Um, they say, hey, uh, where, where's your Airbnb tonight? Like, wh wh where are you going? And that's like, okay, why are they asking that? And he said to them, come and you will see. That's the first time we see this phrase, come and you'll see. So here's what's happening at this point in time, these two disciples of John see Jesus. They stalk him for like, I don't know, 100 feet, 100 yards. I don't know. Jesus finally turns around and says, what do you guys want? And they say, we want to know where you're staying tonight. And what that means is they want to have a conversation with him. And it says in the next verse, it says, and um, so they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. We think that means it's about 4 p.m. So at four o'clock in the afternoon, especially at this time in this place, if you're gonna go talk to somebody, right, you need to find a place to stay. So what they're doing is, hey, Jesus, can, can, we, can we have a slumber party, right? <laughs> that sounds weird. Can we, can we stay wherever you're staying? Can we stay at your host home? You're clearly in a hotel. Can we stay at your hotel? Can we rent a room at your hotel too? So that's what they're asking Jesus. So they have this conversation. It says, the verse 40 says, and one of the two heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew. So one of these guys was Andrew. We don't know who the other person is. The text actually does not say who the other person is, but I'll tell you in a minute who I think it is. It says one of them was Andrew, who was Simon Peter's brother. That kind of stinks, right? Some of you, I say, hey, you're such and such's brother. Oh, you're their little sister. Oh, you're their brother, right? Imagine this guy, Andrew, who's probably the older brother, right? And he's known, he's famous because his younger brother is more popular and famous than him. Think about that. That's kind of annoying, right? Could you imagine if your younger sibling was more famous than you? Well, that's the situation here for Andrew. Andrew is known as Simon Peter's brother. And so it says he first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, so this is the next day. This is not the day that we were talking about before where um, Andrew and this other guy followed Jesus literally from a distance and didn't want to talk to him, right? This is the next day. And it seems like the next day, Andrew found his brother, Simon, and said, we found the Messiah. So after this conversation, whatever happened in this conversation at Jesus's Airbnb, whatever happened, it was a long conversation. It seems to be an impactful conversation because afterwards they say, we found the Messiah. They believed that Jesus was the person promised in the Old Testament after that one single conversation. 
says they found him and he brought him, this is Andrew, brought him, Peter, to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him, that's Peter, and said, you are Simon, son of John, and you shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. What's happening right there is what happens at a lot of points in the Bible where God looks at somebody and changes their name. And and that's kind of weird for us. Like the only time people change their names now is like when they get married or if they have a name that they don't like, I don't know, and they want to go to the courthouse and change their name, right? But back then in the Old Testament and even in the New Testament, it was a big deal. Your name had something to do with your personality. And Jesus looks at this guy, Simon, and says, you're Simon. That's the name your mama called you, right? That's your your name, right? But I'm going to call you something else. I'm going to call you Peter, I'm going to call you Cephas, which is, the, which is the original language. Peter is the, you know, the Greek way. That's the way we like to talk, Peter. And that meant something. It didn't just mean, oh, this is a cool new name. What Peter means is rock. So he's changing his name, right? And he says, you are going to be Peter. You are going to be like a rock. Because if you know anything about Peter, he's that guy in the gospels who always like yells really loud and doesn't know what he's yelling. He's the guy who always gets himself in trouble and then doesn't know like, oh, I, I didn't know. And he's a... Uh, He's that person in your small group who talks before the question is read. It's like, oh, that was the, not the question I was supposed to ask. Oh, okay. And they answer before they know. That's what Peter was like before he became Peter. That's what Simon was like. But Jesus was going to change this guy. It says in the next day, this is verse 43, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. Well, why did he decide to go to Galilee? Well, it says he's going to run into somebody. It says he found Peter, or sorry, he found Philip and said to him, follow me. So this time it wasn't that someone brought someone to Jesus. Jesus goes out and finds this guy. He finds this guy, Philip, and said, follow me. It says, now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathaniel. So one of his friends, right, you, you notice the pattern here, right? Someone becomes a Christian. Someone starts following Jesus. What do they start doing? They start finding other people to follow Jesus too. That's what happens here. It says, and he found Nathaniel and said to them, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. He's saying, we found the guy that the Old Testament has been talking about. Not, I think we found the guy. Not, hey, we found this person who might be interesting. I don't know much about him though. I've only spent a day with him, right? Philip is confident at this point that Jesus is the person of the Old Testament. And look what Nathaniel says. He, he's not so sure about this. Nathaniel said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth, right? Nazareth is this little dusty city that is not mentioned at all in the Old Testament. And we think this guy, Nathaniel, is a pretty good Bible student because of some of the things that are going to happen pretty soon here. But he knows. The Bible doesn't say anything about the, the, the Messiah being from Nazareth. That, the city Nazareth isn't even mentioned in the Old Testament. We think he knows that. So that's why he's questioning. He's kind of a skeptical guy. He seems to be a pretty smart guy who's kind of seeing through this. Are you sure, Philip, are you sure you found the Messiah? He's from Nazareth? I don't believe you. Now, Nathaniel said that. And then what did Philip say? Two, three words, come and see. Instead of arguing with him, instead of saying, no, 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 this is totally the guy. He just says, hey, I want you to see him for yourself. He does that in verse 47, says this. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said of him, behold, right? Same word, it means look, hey, this is an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Right there, that is a Old Testament play on words that you have to understand in order to understand anything that's happening here. Israel, an Israelite and deceit, Those two words go together in the Old Testament because they have to go together around this character. There's this guy in the Old Testament. You've heard of him. His name is Jacob, okay? Jacob was a deceitful guy. He stole his brother's birthright 
for the soup. Remember that? Remember that story where he stole um, the birthright for soup and then he went in dressed like his brother and he put like, like hair on his arms to look, you know, more hairy. And he basically lied to his blind dad who couldn't see him and to try to get more stuff and more money and more blessing, right? That's a pretty deceitful guy, right? If your sibling came up and, and lied to your parents and took away all the stuff that you like, they got all your toys, they got all your, they got your, all your baseball, basketball, football, volleyball equipment, they took everything from you because they lied to your parents, you'd be pretty mad, right? That's a deceitful person. And that's what Jacob was like. But it says something happened later on in his life where he talked to God and it says actually he struggled with God. He had this weird wrestling match, we think, with Jesus before Jesus ever came on the scene as Jesus. He knows Jesus. He gets this weird interaction with him, and he's changed for the rest of his life. And now he's a person that's following God with his whole heart, and he's called Israel. So what Jesus is saying about Nathaniel, he says, I know this guy. You are an Israelite. You're a good guy. You're a pure Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathaniel says, that's a big claim. How do you know me? Is Jesus just being nice to him? Is Jesus just kind of saying a super nice thing and he doesn't know what he's talking about? Well, absolutely not. He's not doing that. He knows exactly who Nathaniel is. And Nathaniel asked, how do you know me? And Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Okay? And Nathaniel answered, Rabbi, you are the son of God. Right? Okay. I don't know what you think about this passage, but every time I look at this, I think, wow, why was Nathaniel so impressed that he saw him under a fig tree? Right? It's like one of you came up to me tonight and says, I saw you earlier. I saw you earlier. I'm like, where did you see me? Right? Like, I saw you in the parking lot. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. I didn't turn around and say, wow, you must be the son of God because you saw me earlier. That's crazy. Right? I didn't say that because that's totally different. What's going on here is we think that the fig tree was a place where these people read their Bibles and they prayed. You know what we call our, our quiet times, right? When we read our Bibles and when we pray, it seems like the Israelites did that under fig trees. They did that in their yard, outside. So they'd think about the Bible and they'd pray. Okay? Jesus mentions a guy. Who's the guy that he's referring to when he's referring to Nathaniel? He's referring to this other Old Testament character. Who is it? It's Jacob, okay? He's mentioning Jacob and he's talking to Nathaniel and he says, under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathaniel seems to be making a connection here that is not written in the text that we don't see. We think that under the fig tree, whatever Nathaniel was doing, he was probably praying. He's probably praying to God and he's probably understanding the Old Testament. And the passage he's probably looking at was the one about Jacob. He's probably looking at that passage, praying to God saying, I don't want to be like Jacob. I want to be like Israel. We think he's probably having this conversation between him and God. So when Jesus steps on the scene and says, you're an Israelite in with whom there is no deceit. And I saw you under the fig tree. I know what you prayed, right? At that point, Nathaniel says, whoa, nobody could hear me. Nobody could see me. I was all alone. I was praying that to God and this guy comes along and he knows what I prayed to God. He knows the things that I'm struggling, my sins and he knows my struggle. He knows all of this. That's why Nathaniel turns around and says, you must be the son of God. Look back at the passage. It says, Rabbi, verse 49, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? He's saying, is that really that impressive to you? Right, I saw you under the fig tree, right? Just because I know your thoughts, you think that's impressive? He says, you will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, which by the way, that phrase in the, Old or the New Testament, truly, truly, you've probably heard verses that say that, where Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, that only happens in the gospel of John. 
So whenever you hear a verse that's quoted, truly, truly, I say to you, that's always Jesus talking, and that's always the gospel of John, only and always the gospel of John. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whatever he's about to say is super important and hard to believe. He says, you will see heaven opened in the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man, okay? That is an Old Testament reference to, guess who? Guess what character that's a reference to? Jacob, same guy. That's about Jacob. Genesis 28 tells the story how Jacob had a dream and he saw angels coming down and they're going up and down on this ladder into heaven, right? We don't think Jesus is actually saying that you're gonna see angels going up and down in a vision. We think what he's saying is you are going to see greater things than just my power and my knowledge. You're gonna see some amazing things. You're gonna see some miracles, which is what we're gonna study next time. So that was our whole passage. And I know it took a long time to go through, but I want you to understand what's going on here. We've got the first followers of Jesus coming to Jesus, getting to know him. And Jesus is basically blowing their minds with his teaching because he knows them intimately without having any conversations with them. He knows exactly what they're praying about. He knows exactly what they're struggling with and he knows their personalities. So what's going on here is basically Jesus is calling people to follow him. And I wanna look at their example. And I think there's a couple things, three main things that we can see that these disciples, the early disciples, three main things that they did that I think we should follow. And the first one is this. They asked questions about Jesus. I want you to write this down for point number one. I want you to investigate Jesus. Investigate Jesus. That's kind of a, a crime word, right? Investigation, right? To look into with some serious thought to the claims of Jesus. That's what Andrew does. That's what John does, which by the way, that disciple that was with Andrew that I didn't mention before, I think that was actually the author of this book. The, the apostle John never mentions himself in the gospel. He refers to himself, but he never mentions his own name. We think this is probably him because he knows what time of day it was. He remembers the conversation. And it seems like with the other passages in the New Testament where um, I think it's um, in Matthew chapter four, Mark chapter one and Luke chapter five, when Jesus calls Peter and Andrew, guess who are right there with him? James and John. So we think that John the apostle is that other disciple who was with him. But think about it. They ask questions. The first question that they asked was actually not a question. They just followed Jesus. Remember that? They tried to figure out, hey, where are you staying tonight? What, what's going on? So they start to ask questions. And surely in whatever conversation they had at the Airbnb where Jesus was staying, they were asking some serious questions. And I think that's true of them, but not just of them. It's also true of Peter. Remember when Andrew went to Peter and he said, we found the Messiah, right? What does he do? He goes and he checks it out. He investigates. Is that really true? Right? And the best person who investigates, the most skeptical is Nathaniel, right? That last character we see, he really investigates. He doubts, actually. He thinks, no, it can't be the Messiah. Can't be the one of whom is written about in the Old Testament. There's no way. It can't be him. But he goes and he investigates. All four of these guys, five including John, they investigate the claims of Jesus. The reason that's important is you might think, well, I don't need to investigate Jesus. I, I I believe what people say at church. Like, I know Jesus is, is the Christ. I know he's the Messiah. I believe that. Well, how much do you really know about Jesus? I, I want to challenge you with that question. How much do you really know about Jesus? If you know Jesus well, you should be able to explain just about everything there is to know. Maybe not in its completion, but you should be able to accurately explain who Jesus is to somebody. Right? If I told you, hey, I want you to tell this person about Jesus, where would you even start? I want you to think about that. Really, put yourself in that situation. Let's say I got a junior high student who's new to the narrow and I say, hey, I need you to tell this person about Jesus because they've never been to church before. They've never, can you tell them about Jesus? Right? 
I guess you got to really know Jesus. Sometimes we just take it for granted. We think, oh yeah, well, I go to church. I've heard about Jesus. I guess I know about Jesus. Um, the problem is most people don't know enough about Jesus. And that's why we're studying this gospel of John, because we're going to learn a lot about Jesus here. Do you really know about Jesus? And if you do, the only way that you can know about Jesus is by looking to the Bible, right? Because he's not here. That's the problem. If you could go and ask Jesus a question after the sermon, that would make the application of the sermon a lot easier because you just go ask him, hey, who are you? Where you come from? Right? Even that, when we see people in the gospels do that, it's complicated. It's hard for them to understand what Jesus is saying. So we have to turn to the Bible. Right? And here's what the book of 1 Corinthians says. 1 Corinthians 15 verses 3 and 4 talk about the gospel, the most important information about Jesus. And it says this, it says, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, which means Peter, and to the 12, which he later says, you should go and ask an eyewitness. What he's telling those people is to investigate whether or not the Bible really talks about the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. And he tells him, hey, you should go find some eyewitnesses who saw it all happen too. He's telling him, you should investigate the gospel. You should investigate Jesus. And the reason I say that is because um, you'll never believe it unless you know it to be true, right? There are a lot of things in this world that are true that you just don't know yet, right? And I think it's the same thing with the gospel for some of you. The gospel's true, and I know it to be true because I, I've seen it in the Bible. I know it to be true, and other people have too, but I want you to see that it's true for yourself. That's why the main idea of this whole sermon is I want you to come and see. Just like I wanted to come over and see the offices and later on I brought Alexandra to come and see, I want you to come and see too. And we're only gonna do that by looking at the Bible. They ask questions about Jesus and they actually talk to Jesus himself. But here's the truth for some of us, right? Some of us actually know a lot about Jesus, right? Maybe you have heard a lot about Jesus. Maybe you've heard a lot of sermons, Maybe you've read a lot of the Bible. Maybe you've read the whole Bible before. I know probably some of you have at this point. You've read the whole Bible. You know a lot of things about Jesus, right? But here's the problem. These disciples ask about Jesus, but that's not all they do. There's a lot of people who later on in the gospels ask about Jesus. They learn about Jesus and they say, ah, you know what? This whole Jesus thing's not for me. It's not enough to just ask about Jesus or to investigate Jesus. You have to do what these disciples really did. They followed Jesus. That's point number two. I want you to write that down. Really simple tonight. Investigate Jesus, point number one. Follow Jesus, point number two. Follow him. It's not enough to just know about him. You gotta follow him too. When you hear the word following, you might think of social media, right? You might think of uh, subscribing to YouTube channels. You might think of following people on Instagram. And when you do that, it's funny because it is sort of like that, and I don't want to compare it too much to following someone on social media, but it's like jumping into their world, right? When Jesus says, you should follow me, he, when he was talking to the disciples, he literally meant, you should get behind me and go to wherever I go, listen to me, do what I say. It's like, he's literally telling them, you should come with me, right? That's not exactly and entirely what Jesus is calling you to do, right? Because he's not here. He's not living on this earth. You can't just go and, you know, get in the back of his car and say, okay, I'm following Jesus. I'm right here with him, right? That's, that's not how it works for us, right? So what does it mean for us to follow Jesus? It is a little bit more like following a social media account because it's from a distance. But something that's interesting is, right, when you follow a social media account, some accounts are more impressive than others, right? Some of the friends you follow on Instagram, it's like, okay, 
they think they're funny. They think their memes are funny, but their memes are not funny, okay? They think they're really good. They think they're, right, maybe in these group chats, it's like, I, I'm in your group chats, guys, I know. I see these memes. Some of them aren't funny. Um, some of them are hilarious, right? But you follow some friends like, ah, that's, that doesn't really do it for me. Other people, right, they follow social media channels, and guess what? Instead of just following those channels, they work for those channels, right? Imagine you were like a social media expert. You worked for a company, and you had to sell like whatever the, the item is. Wow. We've had a lot of motorcycles tonight. Wow, yeah, a lot of motorcycles. Maybe you can sell motorcycles on Instagram. Maybe that's what you should do, right? I don't even know how that would work. Um, but anyway, imagine you had to jump in with your whole life. It wasn't just a account you followed on social media. It was your whole job. It was what your life was about. You wanted to get all your friends to buy this product. You want to get everybody in on this. That's what it's like to follow Jesus. Not just to follow an account, but to follow an account and work for the account and make your whole life about that account. And that's what it is to follow Jesus. When we follow Jesus, we're not following and walking after a literal person, right? That's what the disciples did. What we're doing is we're seeking after Jesus, who it says is not actually far from us. It says he is actually near. And if we call on him, he'll come near to us. He'll be close to us. Jesus said it like this in Luke chapter nine. This is later on. He says, if anyone would come after me, if anyone wants to follow me, let this person deny himself. That means say no to what I want and take up his cross daily and follow me. You want to follow Jesus, your life has to be all about Jesus. Let me think about this for a second. Let's time out and think, okay, we asked before, do I know Jesus? Do I really know him? Could I explain him to somebody else? Could I introduce someone else to him? Well, that was the first question. But the question I think here is, do I actually follow Jesus? Do I actually do what he says? Do I just come to church and say good things in small groups? And then once we're gone, I'll go home and be however I am with my parents. Or do I actually follow him? Right? The Bible says we're supposed to obey our parents in the Lord for this is right. Here's what it means for you to follow Jesus with your parents. To obey your parents in the Lord because it's right. right? No excuses. Philippians two says we're not supposed. Or Philippians, uh, yeah, two says we're not supposed to complain about anything. We're not supposed to grumble, right? If you're going to follow Jesus, you know what it means. I'm not going to complain. I'm not going to complain even when everybody else complains about all the homework assignments. I'm not going to complain. I'm not going to talk back. That's what it means to follow Jesus. We look at His Word and we say, okay, what does He tell us to do? Okay, I guess this is what it means. I'm going to do whatever He says, no matter what. And that sounds like, oh man, it's just a bunch of set of rules. Well, there's a time in the Bible where it says we're supposed to follow Jesus, but it has a very encouraging phrase in it. It's from Philippians chapter three, verse 12. Here's what it says. You can write that passage down. Philippians three 12, I'll read it for you. It says, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect. He's saying, not that I'm already perfect, that I never sin, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own, right? That's why we follow Jesus because it says he has made us his own. He loves us so much, he wants to make us his people. And that's what he does with these disciples. Think about it. When you follow Jesus, it's not like Jesus says, okay, cool, you can follow me, but all I'm gonna be worried about is everybody else. I'm not gonna give any attention to you. That's not how it works. When you follow Jesus, here's what he does. He makes you his person. He cares for you. He loves you. He makes you important to him. He's not all about you, but he's all about serving his people, right? You are one of his people if you're following him. It says, I, I... push on. I want to be perfect. I want to follow Jesus because he has made me one of his own people. Here's the question. Do you follow Jesus? Do you really? Do you really do what he says? And maybe some of you say, yeah, I follow Jesus. And here's another question I want to ask you. How closely do you follow Jesus? 
What's keeping you from following Jesus? Hebrews 12 says the Christian life is like a race and we run this race, but if some of you are wearing ankle weights, that's not a very good idea for a fast time. If you're gonna wear things on you that slow you down and you wear a big heavy backpack with all your textbooks in it, right? Or ankle weights or a big heavy coat when you're trying to run or maybe like a like suit pants or like a, a jacket, right? I'd noticed, um, I was telling somebody at the eighth grade farewell, I was wearing my wedding suit. It's too small, right? I've gained weight. It's just too small. It doesn't work anymore. If I was running, I'd, I'd run like this, right? It's too tight, right? Imagine wearing all these clothes that don't work for running, right? It's not gonna, you're not gonna be fast. You're not gonna get very far. And that's what he's saying. You wanna take off, you wanna get rid of anything that keeps you from following Christ. And for some of us, that means bad music. For some of us, that means bad friends. For others of us, that means bad words, for more of us, it means not disobeying our parents. We got to get rid of some stuff if we're going to follow Jesus. When Peter followed Jesus, when Andrew followed Jesus, when James and John followed Jesus, guess what they did? They left all their stuff behind, right? They were fishermen. They left their nets. They left their boats. And for some of us, if we're going to follow Jesus, we need to leave some things behind. We need to be done with some things that we were about before that if it's like, I'm going to become a Christian now, we got to get rid of. We got to say, we're not about those things anymore. So, Andrew and Philip. Let's go back to them. These two guys were important because they're famous for bringing people to Jesus. Andrew brought Peter, right? And when we look at the Bible, right, who's more important? Who's more famous? Who's more popular, Andrew or Peter? What do you think? You can shout it out. What do you think? Peter. But guess who brought him? Andrew, right? Imagine if you brought somebody to church who was really, really important that God would use in a big, mighty way. And when you think of Andrew, you might think, well, Andrew, I don't know. He's one of the disciples that I don't know anything about, right? You know, like, uh, like Nathaniel. You don't know anything about Nathaniel. Or Philip. You might think, I don't know anything about these guys. I know about, you know, Peter, James, and John, right? I know about them. I know about Matthew a little bit, the tax collector. I don't really know anything about these other guys. They can't be that important. Well, here's the thing. Andrew brought Peter to Jesus. He introduced him. Philip brought Nathaniel to Jesus. That was a big deal. Right? And the third thing I want you to write down, right? the third thing I think we learned from this is we want to not just investigate Jesus for ourselves, not just to follow Jesus for ourselves, but also to introduce others to Jesus. Introduce others to Jesus. That's point number three. Introduce others to Jesus. There's a passage I want you to turn to um, that's all about introducing people to Jesus. And it's super important and it's so good. I hope you memorize it at some point. It's Romans chapter 10. So everybody turn to your Bibles. Romans chapter 10, verse 13. Romans 10, 13. Maybe some of you have memorized this. This is a good, like, Awana verse. Romans 10, 13. Paul's talking about these people who need to become Christians. He's talking about people who need to get saved. And he basically asks the question, how is that going to happen? How is anyone going to become a real Christian? How does that work? Well, I think you might know the answer to this. But I want you to see it here. Romans chapter 10, verse 13. Here's what it says, first of all. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everybody who calls on the name of the Lord. What does that mean? To call on the name, right? It's like what we said earlier. I think it was two weeks ago where we imagined, remember that guy who got stuck underneath the car? Remember we talked about that? Who had to call for that guy, that little boy to come and help. That little nine-year-old kid comes over and helps this guy get out from underneath the car and saved his whole life, right? He had to call. That's what he's saying about Jesus. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you ask Jesus to save you, if you asked for him to make you one of his people, he will do it. He's promising it right here. Verse 14 says, how then 
will they call on him in whom they have not believed, right? Nobody's gonna call on Jesus if they haven't investigated him, right? If they don't know about him, right? They can't because they, don't, they can't believe in him if they don't know him. And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard, right? How can you believe in somebody when you've never heard about them? You can't, it's impossible. It says, how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. He's talking about here, and keep reading. Verse 16 says, But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For as Isaiah said, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. How do you believe? How do you have faith? What do you have to see? What does it say right here? The word of Christ. We got to get to know Jesus. Right? We got to introduce people to Jesus. That's how, some, that's how your friend is going to become a Christian. It's not by you having a big, long conversation with them. It's not about you just um, being their friend and then hoping that you'll just like rub off on them. Right? That's not how it works. You'll become a Christian and you have faith in Jesus if you hear the word of Jesus, if you understand the gospel, if you listen to the Bible. So there's, there's three things underneath this third point I want you to write down. I want you to introduce people to Jesus, but three ways of how to do that. I want you to everybody to write this down. Three ways. The first way is through what it says right here, the word of Christ. It's through preaching. Write that down, through preaching. That's one way that you can have your friends be introduced to Jesus. This is, I think, is the easiest way, right? And what that means for you is to bring other people to church, right? To bring other people to church. That is how Andrew and John essentially became Christians, how did they hear about Jesus? Remember the very beginning of this passage. What does it say? They heard John the Baptist preaching. So they heard preaching and what did they do? They went and found Jesus because they heard preaching. Same thing happens today, right? Maybe if you became a Christian, if you've become a Christian, maybe one of the things that led you to that was you heard a sermon. You heard someone teaching to you. You heard someone preaching from the Bible. That's awesome. That's how Andrew came to Jesus. That's how John came to Jesus. That's how a lot of people come to Jesus. The second way, is through how Andrew and Philip had conversations, remember, with Peter and with Nathaniel, right? Through one-on-one -on -one conversations. That's the next thing. You can introduce people to Jesus through, the second sub-point underneath that, is through conversations, through one-on-one -on -one conversations. What do those conversations have to be about, though, right? They have to be about Jesus, right? You have to talk about Jesus with people through conversations. Did you know that that is the statistically, that is the best way to see people become Christians is not by bringing them to church. It's not by them sitting in church and leaving without a conversation. It's actually through one-on-one -on -one conversations with people. That's how the most people that you know and I know, that's how most people become Christians. Someone talks to them personally. Someone who knows them has a conversation with them one-on-one. -on -one. That was true then. I think it's true now too. Think about it. Peter and Nathaniel are both brought to Jesus because someone was bold enough to say, we found the Messiah. We found the one of whom the whole Bible's about. The third way, I think we bring people to Jesus, and this might be the most obvious one, right? What was Nathaniel doing? What was he doing before he met Jesus? What impressed him so much about Jesus? That Jesus knew what he was reading from the Bible, right? That Jesus brings up this whole Jacob thing, right? I think this is the last way we can bring people to Jesus is through the Bible, okay? Through preaching first, through conversations and through the Bible, right? Because through the Bible is ultimately how anybody's gonna be brought to Jesus. He's not standing here. You can't have a conversation one-on-one. -on -one. He's using people to do that. 
through preaching, through conversations, through the Bible. Nathaniel was reading the Bible and Jesus and Philip actually used it. Guess what Philip says? Do you notice what Philip said? Look back at the passage we read earlier. Back in John, how did Philip tell Nathaniel that he found Jesus? He says, I found the one of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote. He says, I found the guy that the whole Bible's about. I found this guy, this guy. He mentions the Bible. That's how he brought him to Jesus, ultimately. That's our only connection back to Jesus' life is the Bible. Got to use it. We talked earlier about being messengers. Remember last week? We said we want to be like John the Baptist, right? He was, our, he was a messenger. He told people about Jesus. Right? We want to be messengers too. But ultimately, we'll only see how much you value the message by how excited you are, how eager you are, and how bold you are to share the message. That's the only way we're going to be able to tell how excited are you really about Jesus. The only way to tell is by looking at how you talk about Jesus, who you talk about him with, how often you bring him up, how much you care about your friends getting to know him too. That passage, Luke 9, 23, about following Jesus, it goes on. I want to read the last of it before we close. It says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the son of man be ashamed when he comes in his glory, the glory of the father and of the holy angels. I don't want to be a person when Jesus comes who says, I'm ashamed to know that person. I don't even know that person. Says the people who are going to be ashamed of Jesus in this life, if we're too afraid to tell people, because we think people are going to think we're weird, right? if we're too afraid to talk to somebody about Jesus, that shows that we're ashamed of him. Right? I don't want to be a person who's ashamed of Jesus, because he says, I'm ashamed of the people who are ashamed of me. We're only going to see how excited we are about telling people, come and see Jesus, come and, and, and meet him for yourself. If we tell people, we're only going to see people come to Jesus if we bring them to Jesus. We have to do that work. That's what God calls us to do. So we're going to talk about that in small groups real quick. We've got three questions that we're going to go over tonight uh, from those three points. So let's pray and then we'll break up into small groups. Let's pray. God, thank you for teaching us about Philip and Nathaniel and Andrew and even James and John and Peter in this passage. Thank you for showing us that they weren't just question askers. They followed you. Thank you for showing us that they didn't just introduce one person to you. They introduced multiple. I pray that we would do the same thing. And as followers of you, that we would introduce more people to you. I know we covered a lot and there's a lot here that's so cool about what you did with Nathaniel, how you knew him. You knew him completely. You, you didn't have to ask any questions. I know that you know all of us too. You know every last one of us and you know where all of us stands before you. You know who's repented, you know who's not, you know who has faith in you, you know who doesn't. Pray that you would help us by revealing that to us and showing us that. Pray that as we think about these small group questions and how we can follow you better and how we can ask questions about you better, pray that you would help us understand you. When we come to you, we we trust in your promise that you won't cast anybody out who comes to you. If anyone wants to follow you, you're gonna let us follow you. So I pray that you would empower and embolden these students to come to you, to ask good questions about you, to follow you, and to tell them.